This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. The truth is that California is so much more than that. Yes, we do have these big centers of big cities, but in between those cities, which is where my family ranch is, it is a lot of rural land and a lot of agriculture. So California has a really, really rich ranching history. And my family is is one example of that. Lots of multi-generational ranching families here. And on the Central Coast where we're at, it's still very much, even though it's a coastal county, it's still very ag-centric. And so I kind of describe where we're from in San Luis Obispo County is what it's called. This blend of where the Wild West meets surf culture. That was Kaya Twistleman Burchett, better known as Coach Kaya. And this is the Farm Traveler Podcast, and I'm your host, Trevor Williams. And on this episode, I'll be chatting with Kaya, a former cattle rancher, now life coach who is impacting thousands, if not millions of people online. To start our conversation, Kaya and I will cover her background in ranching in California, how her family farm experimented with agritourism with things like glamping, and how diverse California agriculture truly is. We'll then talk about how Kaya's life changed when she embarked on a health journey that would go on to be covered by Good Morning America, The Kelly Clarkson Show, Women's Health, and has been estimated to have been seen by 1.5 billion people. Kaya will also tell us more about her life coaching business, the difference between self-compassion and self-shame, and the importance of being honest with social media and our relationship with it. When the show's over, check out the links below to connect with Kaya, as well as links to check out more Farm Traveler content. Now, please enjoy episode 201 with Kaya Twistleman Burchett. All right, well, Kaya, thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, You are obviously like a massive personality online, like you're a coach. You've been on, shoot, the Good Morning America, the Kelly Clarkson Show, and now you're on this little podcast called Farm Traveler. So I'm so excited to have best, you. This is the best one yet, though, for sure. <laughs> yes, thank you so much. That that'll be the the, the quote of the episode, right? <laughs> um, so, all right, you've got a background in cattle ranching in California, right? 
Yes. In fact, I even wore my little California ranch shirt oh, for you today, Trevor, in honor of it. <laughs> um, yeah, I grew up on a, I'm sixth generation on my family's cattle, cattle, cattle. I just said cattle. So weird. Did you Seattle, hear that? Cattle ranch. On my family's cattle ranch um, on the central coast of California, very rural California. Um, my nieces are now the seventh generation there. So ranching is definitely deep in my blood. That's awesome. Seventh generation. I mean, are they thinking about going into ranching whenever they're older? Like, how's that going so far? You know, my nieces are pretty young. The oldest one is about to turn eight, but they are cowgirl through and through. Like, their boots, most of the time, I don't care if they're going to a pool party, they are in their bathing suit and their cowgirl boots. And my one of my nieces, Cora, she also insists on having her spurs. You know, you never know when you're going to need them at a pool party. So (laughs) I have a feeling that they might stay in the ranching business. I have a big family. So thankfully, the pressure to keep the family legacy going on isn't all resting on their shoulders, but I have a feeling they've got the bug. That's so cool. I I don't know of any other little kids that have, you know, spurs like like normally. So that's cool. That's a a good little tradition they have. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So I know when people think about California and California ag, they might not think Mm -hmm. about ranching, but I mean, California is huge when it comes to ranching, right? Absolutely. And I'm glad you said this. You know, when I was in college, I went to college in Northern California at UC Davis, and I was really involved in a bunch of national ag organizations. And mm-hmm. I remember going to a conference and I stood up to ask a speaker a question. I said, I grew, up a, I grew up on a cattle ranch in California. And I remember this Nebraska guy leaning over to his friend and being like, that can't be a real cattle ranch. And what's so <laughs> funny is that even those that are involved in agriculture, I think that there are some misconceptions around California ag. And for those of you listening, I mean, many of you maybe already know that California is the number one agricultural state because we have just Mm -hmm. such a diverse um, assortment of commodities, over 400 commodities. Our state is huge. We have so many different climates. And so um, we just have a lot of great, great space and, and uh, environment in order to grow so many different commodities. But ranching is a big piece of California. You know, I think there's a lot of stereotypes against California, especially if I'm in the Midwest and the South and in ag groups, I say I'm from California and you just see people roll their eyes, you know, because they, they're picturing San Francisco, Los Angeles, these huge city center hubs and the truth is that California is so much more than that. Yes, we do have these big centers of big cities, but in between those cities, which is where my family ranch is, it is a lot of rural land and a lot of agriculture. So California has a really, really rich ranching history. And my family is is one example of that. Lots of multi-generational ranching families here. And on the central coast where we're at, it's still very much, even though it's a coastal county, it's still very ag-centric. And so I kind of describe where we're from in San Luis Obispo County is what it's called, this blend of where the Wild West meets surf culture. So when you go to any of our coastal towns, there's a Western saloon in every single one of those towns with real cowboys. And, you know, you drive up the coastline and there are cattle grazing the coastal fields. If I die and come back as a cow, I want to come back in one of those pastures. (laughs) I want the oceanfront property. But there's a ton of misconceptions about California agriculture. But the truth is, is that we are the number one ag state. And um, here in our county, the beef industry is the fifth largest industry. You know, we also grow strawberries and wine grapes and avocados and all these other different commodities as well. But uh, tons of cattle here in California. That's amazing. I mean, you know, I feel like honestly, I'm from Florida and we kind of have the same stereotype. You think of beaches and Disney World and that's it. But there's ranches, there's strawberry farms, there's watermelon farms, there's timber farms. It's so super duper diverse. And um, yeah, like when it comes to California, you guys have got the Central Valley. You've got Napa. Mm -hmm. You've got so much stuff going on in California that, you know, once people get past Hollywood and the beaches, they're like, you know, Mm -hmm. there's a lot more to California than you might think. So much more. So much more. 
That's so cool. Yeah, my wife and I, we went, so her 30th birthday, she wanted to do this. Um, we did a Napa tour. And so we went to Napa. We went around Sonoma County, Napa. Super gorgeous. I mean, oh my absolutely gosh, yes. beautiful. The wine was delicious. I feel like at the end of the trip, if you poked us, wine would just be coming out. Um, so <laughs> it, it, it was a good time. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no, exactly. It, it was it was a good time. So it seems like like all the counties in California have like, I don't know, their specialties because it's so diverse. And I love that you guys are, you know, very active in, in beef ranching in California. Yes. And and I, I love that you said that too, because while it can be challenging to be in agriculture in a state that is so, um, has such big population centers, it mm-hmm. also gives us such an opportunity in agriculture too. Napa and Sonoma is a perfect example of this, right? Huge agriculture area, but also a huge agritourism area. And mm, the truth is, yeah. is that there's so many opportunities having, being in a state with such a big population and same thing in Florida is there's so many opportunities for us to also connect with some of these population centers. So even where my family is, which is extremely rural, I had to drive an hour one way to go to the nearest gas station, grocery store, high school growing up. I mean, very, very rural. And oh, wow. What my family's doing now, and I, I don't personally have as much a hand in it. It's mostly my brother and sister-in-law, but they mm-hmm. saw this opportunity, right? We could consider ourselves being in the middle of nowhere, or we can consider ourselves being in the middle of everywhere. We're about three and a half hours, four hours south of San Francisco, about three and a half hours north of LA. And so it's just far enough for them to get out of the city but still close enough for them to have a getaway. And so recently in the past few years, my family has actually delved into agritourism. And so we have a glamping business on the ranch. So people can come and go glamorous camping and kind of have an opportunity to live their Wild West experience. And most of those guests are from Los Angeles and San Francisco. And they they want to know what it's like. They want to have that Wild West experience. And it's such a cool opportunity for us to connect with our consumers in a really impactful way um, and really have them leaving feeling like, I know a rancher. I have that personal connection, that personal memory, that personal experience that I think think is just super powerful. And while California does get a bad rap in a lot of different ways, I think there's um, a lot of great benefits that we can look at being near these big population centers while having such a rich agricultural landscape. Yeah, that's such a huge responsibility. I mean, you're so close to so many people. And like, what's the consumer relationship like? Because I feel like um, California consumers might get a stereotype of like, they only shop at Whole Foods, they only eat organic. And so you guys are in such a really good position. Like, what's the what's the relationship right now between consumers and farmers in California? Yeah, this is such a great question. And I think the the short answer is that it really depends. Hmm. I I love California. I'm a native Californian, right? But I do think that sometimes there is a little disconnect between California consumers and their relationship with food and their perception of other people in other states and their relationship with food. It's easy for a Californian to say, I want to only shop and buy local because California Mm -hmm. produces everything, right? We have the fresh fruits. We have the fresh vegetables. We have year-long seasons of these things readily available, But I think that the consumer, the California consumer that expects that you're only a good person if you support your local farmer, well, they've never lived in rural Nebraska in the winter. Okay, try getting a local head of lettuce in Nebraska in the winter. I think that there's a little bit of disconnect there. And I think that across the board, especially when it comes to marketing around food, I think that a lot of times, in my opinion, wrongfully so, we attach morality to food and thinking I'm a good person because I eat these kinds of food or I'm a good person because Mm. I 
support these kinds of operations. And personally, in my opinion, I don't think that food is a, a moral thing. I don't think that we need to food shame people for where they buy their food or what foods they eat. I don't think that's actually productive. Um, but I think when it comes to the California consumer, yes, there are those that have a little bit more disposable income that are closer to places where they can find those specialty foods. However, in general, I still think that overall, generally speaking about consumers, even in California, at the end of the day, most people buy foods based on their price points and their taste. And that's for me. I'm kind of a little all over the place, right? Behind my camera here is my garden that I grew myself this year. So I love garden fresh vegetables that I grew. I also like to go to my local farmer's market because I live in a place where we have year-long farmer's markets. But I mm. also like to go and buy food at the grocery store, conventional, inexpensive food. I still buy canned foods. I buy frozen foods. I buy organic. I buy conventional at the end of the day, I'm kind of just buying foods that I enjoy that also fit my budget. And I think while some people like to say they only shop at certain places or only like to eat certain foods, sometimes what they say or their perception of how they how they choose foods isn't always the same as where they actually spend their dollars, if that makes sense. No, that does. And that's a really good point you brought up. Like California can grow stuff year round, basically. And other states like uh, Minnesota, Massachusetts, mm -hmm. Florida, like you can't really do that. And so like people in California, are like, well, why don't they just buy local? Like you can't really do that in different parts. of yeah. the country. That's, that's really interesting. Cause I mean, it's not very often that we, you know, I feel like we, like I'm in Florida. I don't really ask how consumers in Washington state go about it, like how they buy right. local, which that's a really interesting perspective. I'm glad you brought that up. I was recently at a Nebraska Women in Ag conference and I was speaking and one of the women got on stage after me. She's a registered dietitian and she was talking about um, simple ways to make some adjustments to just have more nutrient-dense foods. And she was talking about mm. field meals and things of that nature. And I was sitting there so fascinated because she was talking about it was, it was the middle of winter. Of course, I, I only go to the Midwest in the middle of winter because that's when farmers can actually attend conferences for me to speak <laughs> at. And so um, she was talking about ways that you can, can incorporate more fruits and vegetables. And she was talking a lot about canned fruits and canned vegetables and how hard it is to go to the store and buy find anything fresh that's not a banana in her grocery store. And it was such a good reminder to me that when we talk about food, especially if you are from a place that has it abundantly and readily and freshly available in our, in my backyard, right? Our community grows fruits and vegetables year round. It's important that we remember that accessibility is not the same everywhere. Mm, accurate. Yeah. I mean, even I, I interviewed somebody from, I believe Nashville, like a couple of years ago, and they were talking about the concepts of food deserts and yes. how that's a huge issue here in the United States. And nobody really realizes it. Like if you're in an mm -hmm. urban area, the freshest produce a lot of people can get because they can't take the bus. They don't have a car. It's going to a corner store where they only have right. bananas, apples, and that's it. Like everything else is frozen. It's canned. It's wild. So the accessibility is a huge issue that not a lot of people are, are realizing, you know, until we go out, go out of our spaces and we realize that, you know, food is not equal access like around the country, which is absolutely, wild. absolutely. That's crazy. So, all right, you've done this whole, you did cattle ranching, but you've moved on from that. You've done yeah. something super duper exciting and you went viral. Um, I feel like everybody was watching you like a year or two ago. Everybody in the ag space are like, a farmer's going viral. Like, this is amazing. So yeah. what was that whole experience like going viral and how has your life changed? Oh, that's such a great question. <laughs> so yeah, I grew, I grew up in agriculture. Um, 
I was also one of those people that grew up in agriculture thinking, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. Mm, I had okay. an idea growing up because I grew up in production agriculture that if I want to continue in ag, I have to be ranching. And while I love ranching and being on the ranch, I knew that my skill sets and what I have to offer the world didn't lie in production agriculture. I'm, I'm more, um, I think I'm better with my voice and using words than I am in, you know, doing the day-to-day of taking care of cattle. And so I thought that when I went to college, I was going to go a totally different direction. In fact, I thought I was going to go the medical route because I got in a bad accident junior year of high school and my nurses just made such a big impact on me. I thought that's what I want to do. I want to help other people. And so I went to college thinking I was going to go to the nursing the nursing route. And then I took a chemistry class and that really shot down that dream super fast. And I realized, <laughs> no, nope, medical is not for me. Um, I switched my major, of course, only because of the chemistry and calculus. And I ended up doing human development and education. And I still wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life. I mean, who really is? And I thankfully chose an ag school though. So I got really, really involved in all of my extracurriculars were agriculture. And I realized, okay, Kaya, your heart is still being pulled back into this industry that raised you. But I wasn't sure what my future would look like in it. And I actually got involved with this organization called Agriculture Future of America, which I love so much. I'm so grateful I have the opportunity to be involved now as an alumni and and speak at their conferences. But I cannot recommend this enough for college-aged students. It was going to one of those conferences in the Midwest where my mind was first really opened up to just how vast the opportunities in agriculture were. It was this Mm. wake up call to me of like, oh, I can be a important piece of this industry without having to be the one raising and growing the food. I can actually use my creativity and my voice and my speaking and my marketing skills within this industry in a really unique way. And so that kind of made me reconsider. Maybe the, maybe agriculture was my future. And so I started my big kid career out of college. My first job was at the Kentucky Cattlemen's Association working for the Beef Council. And I loved it. I had so many lessons that I learned in that role in marketing and communications. And I was really helping to be this bridge between Kentucky consumers and Kentucky cattle farmers. And I got media trained. I was the girl that was doing the cooking shows on the morning news about like, here's three recipes you can use ground beef in for Super Bowl weekend. And I got to do social media campaigns and work with influencers and do radio. And I loved it. It was an amazing, amazing experience. But while I was in Kentucky, as someone who came from coming from California, I was so homesick over there. My oldest niece was born the week that I moved to Kentucky. And I knew that I wanted to have a job and a career that gave me more time freedom and flexibility, more location freedom and flexibility, mm. and also more money freedom and flexibility, the opportunity to make more instead of waiting for a raise. And so I, I kind of started dipping my toe into the entrepreneur world. And so I started my first side gig called Burley and Barley Marketing or Creative and Editorial. And I was doing a lot of logo design and social media marketing for farms and ranches at night after my nine to five job. And uh, long story short, I convinced my Kentucky boyfriend at the time by some miracle to move out west with me back to California. He had applied for a job and got it with our local county farm bureau. And we moved out here. I went all in on entrepreneurship. But at the same time that I was doing the side business, I also had embarked on a personal health journey. And so I'm someone who has struggled with my weight and my body image for all of my life. And as I was getting into this professional development, I really started working on my own personal development too, really getting into more of this mindset work, um, really understanding different ways to have a relationship with my body, a different relationship with food. Instead of seeing it more of, okay, this is how I want to fix and change myself. It was more of Mm -hmm. how can I learn to love and accept myself? And as a result of that, treat myself better with the choices I make. And 
Fast forward, uh, I was just sharing this on my social media, personal social media with friends and family, the things that I was learning and kind of sharing that journey as I went. And I had lost over 100 pounds in one year. And the folks that worked at Beef It's Butts for dinner had reached out to me. They said, Kaya, we love your story. We love that you know you have this ranching background. We love that you're media trained. Obviously, you did this in your job at the Kentucky Beef Council. We love that you know you have this really healthy approach to to health and beef was a part of your story. Can we pitch your story to media? And I said, sure, why not? I had no idea where this was going or who they were pitching it to, but they pitched my story to People Magazine the summer of 2020. And People Magazine picked it up in their issue. And then they pitched it to Good Morning America and Access Hollywood. And it kind of had this really intense snowball the summer of 2020. I think that they did the media reports and it was translated into over 40 languages. And it reached over 1.5 billion people the summer of 2020, my health transformation story. Oh, my gosh. It was overwhelming, right? I remember going to bed one night and I had like 4,000 followers on my Instagram. And the next morning after the Good Morning America feature went live, I had 17,000 followers. And so it was very much this overnight situation. And I think it was kind of a perfect storm and the timing was everything because this is what I know to be true. Before Mm -hmm. and after pictures and weight loss stories are very sexy for clickbait on, on online, right? On articles. And so that is number one, right? That really helps the virality of the story is the fact that Mm -hmm. it's a before and after weight loss transformation. And the second thing was it's the summer of 2020, right? So thankfully I had documented my journey really, really well. So I had a just library of pictures and videos and behind the scenes of this story. And this is a time when reporters can't leave their homes to go and tell stories. You can't just go do a photo shoot for People Magazine the summer of 2020 during a global pandemic. And so the timing was perfect because basically I had this story and all of the assets they needed to create the story on a silver platter for them. They didn't have to (laughs) capture any photos or videos. They said, oh my gosh, here's a viral story. Gets a lot of clickbait because it's a before and after picture. And she has all the creative content that we need to piece it together. And so I think that those were kind of this perfect storm for this viral story that went live in the summer of 2020. And I think one of my most proud moments was on Access Hollywood, they had published the line because, you know, media will edit things out. In our interview, they had they had this air on Access Hollywood. It was me saying, and beef is my favorite diet food. And that was just such a cool experience because you don't hear messages like that in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Normally it's like, oh, I went on this fad diet. I did keto. I did vegan. I did pescatarian. I did intermittent fasting. And yeah, you were like one of the first voices that was like, no, I did this and I still ate beef. It's yes. possible. Like don't give in to like all the hype, all the fad diets. Mm-hmm. Like this is very sustainable. That was so cool. Uh, like, I mean, did it kind of blow your mind when you when you learned that like 1.5 billion people read your story and heard about your story? Yeah, it was a wild, it was a wild experience. And you know, there's there's good and bad with it. And sometimes I like to peel the curtain behind because I think we all love the idea of like, oh, it'd be so cool to go viral. And yeah, it's <laughs> it's really awesome because um that viral story really helped give me this platform that I didn't mm. necessarily ask for or even know that I wanted until it was there. And I thought, oh maybe I could do something with this. And I think it was a great opportunity too, because, you know, I had a lot of, um, almost imposter syndrome a little bit as an advocate for the beef industry and my role in Kentucky, because I knew I wasn't this picture of health yet. I was someone who was helping to talk about the nutritional benefits of beef being a part of a balanced and heart healthy diet. And so I wasn't feeling like I was walking the talk. And so it was really cool on this flip side to be like, oh my gosh, look at me finally walking the talk, being an example of what it looks like. And also 
getting this incredible global stage now to be a really impactful advocate for the beef industry, which was amazing. But I remember the the morning I woke up feeling like it was like I'd stepped on stage and all of a sudden 17,000 people are staring at me and I had no idea what to say or what to do. You know, like what what do I do in this moment? The other thing, I guess, a behind the scenes peek into this was the day that it went viral that next morning was the same day that George Floyd was killed and it was on the news. Oh, And so I wow. bring that okay. up because when you are in the public sphere, right, or if you have a platform, if you will. This was, I mean, I would still say that right now is still a challenging time politically in our world in lots of different ways. But I remember that day waking up to DMs from people saying, you have a platform now, you need to use it. Basically expecting now that I have all these followers, it's my responsibility to have a political opinion about really big issues that were happening. And that was this part of going viral or having a big platform that I hadn't anticipated or considered before it happened. And that was a really weird time. And I feel like I still have to figure things out and and learn what it looks like to be yourself on social media in a way that is true to you. And um, yeah, so there's there's lots of upsides to going viral. And there's also some challenges too. I remember, I think it was a year after actually I got my first slam piece written about me. It was uh -oh. um, a reporter had reached out to me from Vice News. And of course, a lot of reporters are like, hey, I would like a statement for an article. I'm sharing today at 2 p.m., right? And I just had a feeling about him when he reached out that maybe it wasn't going to be used in my favor, whatever I would say. And so I'd ignored the message. And the next morning, I woke up to my first death threat on Instagram. He had oh launched this, this article that said, um, influencer loses 100 pounds. Um, and she worked for, quote unquote, big beef. And it was this whole article trying to scare people and dispelling me because I had connections to the beef industry. And I remember waking up with this pit in my stomach thinking, oh my gosh, what has happened? And I was so worried and just like, you know, I, I had never had anybody write anything negatively like that about me in, online before. And my husband, who has a, a background more in policy and campaigning, he's worked in lobbying for many, many years. And he hmm. said, congratulations, babe. And I was like, what do you mean? He said, you know, you're doing something <laughs> right if someone has a slam piece about you. So this is a good sign. And I loved that that perspective shift um, a little bit. But there's a yeah, there's lots more to going viral and having a public presence online that I just didn't I didn't know before it happened. I bet. And like, how do you how do you navigate that? Because I mean, clearly, I'm sure that was a shock to the system whenever you had that hit piece. I'm I mean, sure. I, I mean, clearly, they're trying to their own agenda is to get I don't know, to steal some of your your popularity and get it themselves so they can be able mm -hmm. to become more popular. So like and as your stage has grown, like how do you try to navigate that? Like being yourself, not worrying about the hit pieces and all mm -hmm. that good stuff or crazy stuff, not good stuff. No, it is a it's a journey and one that I continue mm -hmm. to walk every single day. Um, I think social media is just an interesting thing in general because um I love it so much as a tool to connect and share and empower and be creative. I really, really do. And create community in a in a time when, especially during the COVID, during the global pandemic, at a time when we couldn't be connected. And I love that. And I have made some of the most deep, enriching, beautiful friendships and relationships because of social media. And at the same time, it's so hard to navigate because it is this 
it's it's fake even to some extent, right? Like I, I mm. like to pride myself on authenticity, but I'm still not live streaming my life 1000% of the time, you know? And so for me, I actually have this love-hate relationship with social media because um, I can get in funks when I consume it too much, right? I start worrying and comparing myself and there's tons of research that shows how social media consumption can really be negatively impacting your mental health and well-being. And I've seen that in my own life. And so I think for me, what's really important when I'm trying to navigate how I show up on social media is having non-social media friends and family and connections to keep me grounded because it's so easy to get caught up in it. You know, I have found that when I focus on creating for social media more than I consume it, I feel like I can show up more authentically as myself mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. in a way that's really impactful. Um, but it's, I'm, I'm imperfect at this journey and I think I have to continue to figure out how to navigate and show up in that space. Um, but I think what's important is to remember that every single person you see online, if they're a social media influencer, if they're your, your friend that you, you know, went to elementary school with, or if they are a mega superstar celebrity, like the Kardashians, we're all, at the end of the day, we're just people, right? We are all just people doing our best. Some of us have had more, you know, uh, I would say outward success or outward exposure than others, but we are all people who all struggle with feelings of self-doubt and imposter syndrome and wondering if we're doing the right thing and how we show up. And so I think it's just important for us to humanize ourselves and also to humanize the people that we see online as well. Oh, hundred percent. And you know, I've noticed that sentiment a lot from farmers and ranchers online because I mean, it used to be that we have to show the perfect picture of what goes on at the farm. But the more I've talked to a lot of farmers and ranchers, it's like, no, we need to be open and honest, show the mm -hmm. good days just as much as the bad days. Yes. Because I mean, we don't like you get on social media, you see the perfect pictures of people, you know, mm -hmm. living the best life. You, you know, of course, we all have those friends that only post um, stuff when they travel or yeah. their life seems perfect, but we don't know, yes. like maybe they're in debt, but they just want to travel. I mean, right. everything having, seems like, so- marriage issues. We, we yeah, don't exactly. Know. Exactly. Yeah. Like, it, like it, it gives such a weird, I don't know, a weird relationship with other people. Like we're like, you know, my life isn't nearly as good as theirs, but it's mm -hmm. so, so weird. So I love the fact that more people are trying to be honest on social media. Like, hey, mm -hmm. here's the good things. Here's the bad things. Yes. I'm not perfect. None of us are. So I love that. No, I was just going to say, I I totally agree. Right now, as we're recording this, there's a trend going around on, on Instagram right now where it's just like a, a B-roll video and people writing down their age and just the truth about where they're at in life. And I find it so refreshing because um, I think it just, I think that we just need to connect to heart to heart as human beings. And I think it's of course we want to celebrate. And of course we all love the highlight reels and the beautiful, I mean, I love to travel. So I, I do have the travel photos on there too, but I just think that it's helpful when you see somebody else who says, Hey, me too. Me too. I've been there. I'm struggling too. Life is really good. And it's really challenging. Like life is really joyful and beautiful and hard as heck. And we are all in, in this journey together. And I think that that actually creates more authentic connections than anything. Oh, a hundred, a hundred percent. I mean, my wife and I, we had a small group a couple of years ago and you know, it, like the, the small groups for church aren't about like, we're the perfect Christian. We're perfect. Like it's about sharing the things we've struggled with. It's about mm -hmm. being authentic. And I love that more people are doing that on social media. And also it seems like you're trying to do that with your coaching. You have a lot of coaching and speaking engagements where you're trying to help people. I don't know, like get the best of the circumstances they're in, like write their lives, like what all goes into your all coaching? 
Yeah. So the coaching world is so interesting because I never set out to be a life coach. I didn't even know what a life coach was or that, you know, who am I? I definitely had some imposter syndrome there. So even before um, everything went viral online, I, as I was sharing my personal stories on social media, I had a few people message me privately asking if I did coaching. And I remember the first time thinking, coaching? Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> Who am I to be a coach? Like, what is that? Mm -hmm. e but I'm, I'm a yes girl. I'm probably a yes, yes girl to a fault. I love trying new things and just being like, I'll give it a shot. So I remember my, my friend who actually worked for the, the Tennessee beef council at the time said, Hey Kaya, I want to do coaching with you. Are you open to it? And I said, this is the thing. I don't know what I'm doing. I've never done this before, but I'd love to explore it with you if you know that. And we're just going to go into it. And what I discovered was that I loved it. I loved it nice. so, so much. And I think what's ironic is when I look back, I actually am trained to do this. My my major is actually human development and education. And so in a very unexpected change of events, I'm actually using my degree, which is which is really cool <laughs> and refreshing and and unexpected. But what I what I like to think about is coaching is coaching, right? Therapy is different than coaching. I am not a therapist and I never claim to be. In fact, I make them sign a disclaimer knowing that I am not a therapist. I think of therapist as being someone to really help you tap into your past to understand what you're dealing with now. And I see coaching more as how can how can I support you in finding your own solutions with where you want to go moving forward. And I think mm. being a coach is really being someone who can hold up a mirror to someone and help them discover themselves, discover their own solutions, discover their own answers, discover their own passions. Um, because someone described it to me once. They said, you can't read the Coke bottle label when you're in the bottle. And I think that when you're a coach, you're someone who's saying, hey, here's the mirror. This is what I see in you and really empowering and helping them take those steps forward. So as a coach, I work predominantly with women and predominantly with women who really want to heal their relationships with their bodies and um, create a healthier lifestyle and whatever that looks like for them. Um, I'm not a registered dietitian. I am not a fitness expert and I never claim to be. I do not give any medical nutrition advice. I am more about helping people find their own solutions and really take the things that they know how to do and actually show up and honor their word. So I, I really work mostly on mindset and I call it thought work. And I think that's the hardest work that we do. I think when people think about creating healthier lives, they say, tell me how to exercise, tell me what to eat. <laughs> and I think most of us know to some extent how to move our bodies. We know how to nourish our body with foods that make us feel good. The problem isn't that we don't have the know-how, at least to some extent. The issue usually is we're not showing up the way that we want to for ourselves. And there's usually a disconnect mentally and emotionally that I really help them to work on. But it's been really cool to see how my coaching career has kind of shifted and evolved over these last few years. And what I do mostly now is speaking. So I go to conferences and events and I do motivational speaking. And it's just a really fun way for me to connect with the hearts of people um, and help them find more self-compassion for themselves um, as they take those steps forward in their lives. So I've noticed in a couple of your pictures, you have a book that I have that I need to read and it's Atomic Habits. And I oh, think so that bad. book is, it's, yeah, it's so good about really the disconnect. Like we, we kind of know mm -hmm. what to do, how to change our lives, but it's the process of like actually doing it mm -hmm. that slows us back. So like, as you've done all this coaching, all this public speaking, what are some of the major reasons that are keeping people like, what are kind of the major, the major like hurdles that people don't actually like accomplish the things they set out for? Yeah. The first thing I'll say is this. Self-compassion gets you a heck of a lot farther than self-shame. And mm. I think a lot of us, when we are pursuing 
healthier lives or happier relationships or just whatever it is in our life. I think a lot of us are conditioned to use self-shame as the fuel. We approach, okay, I want to get, I want to be healthier in my body physically. Um, I'm going to shame myself when I eat a quote unquote bad food, which I already talked about how morality has no place in our food choices. Um, Or I'm going to punish myself by going and working out and going to the gym. And I think that a lot of us are trying to pursue improvement from a place of shame and judgment. And that's how I had approached my own personal development in the past. It was always waiting until I got to a place where I hated myself enough that I was willing to make a change. And what happens is when you start to make those changes from that place of shame and judgment, and then you make a mistake because you're going to, because you're a human being, not because there's anything wrong with you, you're already primed to feel shame. So you're going to shame yourself again. And for me, myself, I know that when I am feeling shame and negative emotions, the way that I console myself and numb out from those, that discomfort is usually with food. And so it became this vicious cycle where I was self-sabotaging my own progress. And I think the first place for us to start when it comes to bettering our lives is bettering our relationship with ourselves exactly as we are right now before changing a single thing. And I think a lot of us have not given ourselves permission to feel self-compassion and self-acceptance for the current version of ourselves we have this condition on our self-love and acceptance. Like I will finally love and accept myself once I lose the weight. Once I can lift this many pounds. Once I make this much money. We all have this lie of once thinking that once we reach this achievement, then everything will change for ourselves. But the truth is, is that loving and accepting yourself is something you have to choose every single day. And I think we have this false narrative that some achievement is going to change that. However, and I'll use weight as an example, although I... There's, there's lots of different ways you can look at this. We all have people in our lives that maybe have, you know, what, what we've been conditioned to think of as the perfect body that really hate themselves that are unhappy. Mm. And we also have examples of people in our lives that don't have the traditional idea of what a perfect body looks like, who love themselves and are full of joy and happiness. And that in itself is an example to us of the fact that Love and happiness and joy has very little to do with our circumstances, whether those circumstances are the number that pops up when you step on a scale, whether that's the number in your bank account, whether that's the home that you live in. And I think the real hard work is doing the internal piece of how can I love and accept myself here? And I know you asked about habits, but this is important because if you can focus on I'm going to show up today from a place I'm doing this because I love myself and I want to treat myself better versus I'm doing this today because I've been a bad person. Your follow through is going to be so much more. And Mm -hmm. I love the book Atomic Habits because one of the things he does well is he gives you the science behind it. And I think by helping you understand why you aren't showing up and doing the things you say you're going to do actually helps you have more self-compassion. It's like, oh, I have failed at establishing this habit, not because I'm a bad person or broken, which is usually the narrative we have about ourselves is they have, mm-hmm. you know, they have more self-motivation than I have. They have more willpower. I'm, there's something wrong with me. No, it's actually, there's nothing wrong with you. It's that you are a human being that wants to resist discomfort and change. That's actually a very normal evolutionary part of being a human being. And I think when we understand that piece, it helps us realize, oh, I'm not actually broken or a problem. I'm a human being. And having this information, this knowledge can give me more compassion about my behavior and also arm me with some simple steps for how I can really change and improve that relationship moving forward. Oh, 100%. And I mean, there's there's a really good quote in that book that's early on and everything that you said really reminded me of it. 
Um, he, which I think what the author is James Clear, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So his quote is something like, um, a guy was trying to quit smoking mm -hmm. and he, somebody asked him for a cigarette and he said, um, the simple change is saying, instead of saying, I'm trying to quit smoking, you just say, I don't smoke. And it's mm -hmm. that simple perspective change that can give you so much more success and so much more like letting those habits stick. And when you realize that, like, I don't know, you give yourself more credit, you give yourself more grace. And I don't mm -hmm. know, it changes the way you think about building new habits, changing your yeah. perspective, changing who mm -hmm. you are. And yeah, I remember reading that. I was like, dang, that's really, really good. That kind of simplifies it all very yeah. down. It's so good because I think that so much of this too is identity based, right? We all have mm -hmm. who yeah. an idea these labels we place on ourselves about what, who, what our identity is. And some of us get so attached to those identities and labels and those narratives and stories that it blocks us from being able to actually change the identity that we have. And so that little sentence change is practicing embodying a new identity of someone who doesn't smoke, right? It's not saying I'm the same person who's trying to quit smoking. It's saying I am not a smoker. I don't smoke. It's embodying this new identity. And I think it's so interesting to get curious about what, like I imagine this us having a t-shirt full of like, hello, my name is like these identity labels, these stickers on ourselves. And I think it's helpful to get curious about what are the stories? What are the identities? What are the labels I've placed on myself? Are they true? Do I like them? Do they just feel true because I believe them for so long? And do I want to believe something new? This is a simple story that I share sometimes, but I just think it really helps share, like explain what I mean by this. So growing up, I was always someone who told myself, I am not a hat person. I'm not a half person. <laughs> and I remember it was back in college, or maybe after college, I was driving through San Francisco with one of my girlfriends and we were on our way to brunch. And I look out the window of our Uber and I see this girl walking down the street wearing one of those cute, trendy, like felt hats. And I looked and I'm like, oh my gosh, that is such a cute hat. I wish I was a hat person. And my friend Jessica looks over at me and she says, Kaya, you know what you have to do to become a hat person? So I get on the edge of my seat thinking, oh my gosh, no, tell me this life-changing information. She says, you just have to wear hats. And I know that seems so silly, but it really struck me of, oh my gosh, she's right. What makes me not a hat person except the fact that I believed it so long that I just don't wear hats because I believe that I'm not a hat person. And if you know me now today, I wear hats all the time because <laughs> that really gave me permission to start questioning, okay, what are the other identities I believe to be true about myself? Do I like them? Do I want to practice believing something new? So not only was I holding on to this silly narrative of I'm not a hat person, but I also had this identity that I had for myself that I'm not a morning person. I'm not a productive person. I'm not an active person. And what I realized was holding so closely to those labels and accepting them as fact was actually sabotaging my ability to establish new routines. Because if I'm not an active person, then I'm probably going to be someone who sleeps through her morning workout she said she was going to do yesterday, right? And so I think getting curious about those labels that we just assume are true and questioning like, is this actually true? Do I want it to be true? Or do I actually want to embody a new identity? Do I want to be someone who's an active person? Do I want to be someone who is a morning person, someone who reads for fun? Because really the way that we embody a new identity is just embodying the habits of that person today. That's the way that we change who we are. That's the way that we change the direction we're headed. And I think we have to really loosen our grip on those identities that some of us have maybe been believing all of our lives or for years or for decades when it's really just a story that we can change.
Oh, 100%. Now, I mean, since you've been doing this, would you say a lot of those labels, do any of those come from our relationship with social media? Like maybe we see somebody who's like a fitness influencer. We're like, oh, I am nowhere near that person. So clearly I'm not into fitness. I don't work out. Like, do you think that kind of askews our relationship with ourselves? I think social media probably does have an impact. And I think this also ties back to probably our families of origin or things from our youth. Mm. You know, for example, I know people who probably think they're really bad at math because a teacher back in elementary school told them they were bad at math. And someone placed that little seed in your head, that little label in your head. And it could have just been one person making a comment to you that locked it in and you believed it forever, right? It could also be a comment that someone makes about your body, about your smarts, about your personality. So sometimes these these labels that we believe were actually handed to us, maybe not even intentionally, by our family of origin, by a friend back in our youth. And so when we get curious about them, it can kind of help us pinpoint, okay, why do I believe this narrative? Where did it come from? So that, Mm. that helps us release it a little bit. But I do think that social media definitely impacts it. I know that social media, I would I would think really exacerbates the feelings of imposter syndrome of, well, if I don't look the part, then I can't embody that label, right? I uh, recently, semi-recently as part of my health journey, as part of actually this journey of challenging labels and identities is this fun game I've made of made for myself of, okay, I'm going to start proving myself wrong in all these different mm. ways. So one of the narratives that I had held onto was I hate running and I'm not a runner. And I'm not saying that you need to go and start running if you hate it. Like running is not for everyone, but I wanted to challenge myself. So I trained for a half marathon and I did fall in love with running. Now I don't run much anymore and that's okay too. But, um, in this journey, I discovered other women, this one woman specifically, her name is Jill Angie, and she has a community and she's a coach. It's called not your average runner. And she, her, her niche is helping women 55 and older get into running and really helping people destigmatize the fact that you can be fat. And she talks about fat in, in that fat's not a bad word. That's a big piece of her brand is teaching you how to not think that being fat is a bad thing or a moral issue. But she is someone who is like, you can be fat and a runner. You can be old and a runner. And I love that there are people disrupting these long accepted narratives of what it looks like to be a certain kind of person, what it looks like to be a runner, right? We all think of the like, I don't know, the like slim people that are wearing the short shorts, but you can be a runner and look lots of different ways. Um, And I think it's helpful if we diversify our social media feeds, especially if we are kind of hooked on, well, I can't be that person because this person looks like this. I challenge you to find people that look different or people that look like you doing the things that you want to do to help you embrace, okay, maybe I can embody this identity because there's other examples too in the world of people who are doing that, even if it's not what the the general mass of the population is doing. Yeah, that that's such a good idea. I love that. Um, I, I love getting more diverse with our social media feeds and like who we're watching because I mean, if we stay in one echo chamber, like I'm, I always try to tell people this, if we stay in one echo chamber, like our views of society and even of ourselves are just going to go like downhill so fast. Hundred like, percent. The 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 broader our our followings are on on Instagram, the the broader the people we follow, like that's going to give mm. us a much better sense of reality, really. Oh, I totally agree. And it's so easy to, and I don't know if anybody else will resonate with this, but um, it's easy to get caught up in your own echo chambers. And I find, Mm -hmm. I realize sometimes that I I do that too, even in the business world or the entrepreneurship world. So I think it's also helpful to um, 
have relationships with people outside of the industry that you work in. So for example, I remember I was having a day where I just got really in my head about how I wasn't doing good enough as an entrepreneur, as a business owner. I wasn't marketing all these things enough. I wasn't having the, the best kind of programs. You know, it's easy to see all these gurus talking about what you should be doing and to start feeling like, okay, well, clearly I'm inadequate in all these ways, right? I think that we've all kind of fallen into one of those spirals from consuming social mm -hmm. media. And I was talking to my best friend about it who, you know, very conveniently, she happens to be a therapist too. So she's really nice to talk to about things like this. But <laughs> she said, Kaya, I don't even know what you're talking about. You're speaking a different language than me. She says, I think it's helpful for you to realize that there's a lot of people that don't even know what the word mastermind even means because I don't. And it was such a good <laughs> reminder to me of like, oh yeah, I am so caught up in this narrow focus of the world. And so it's important for me to kind of get out of my own head, get out of my own sphere to reground myself outside of the places where I spend all of my time. That's such a good idea because I feel like, you know, as an online entrepreneur, there's a lot of pressure for you. Like the more you work, the more speaking engagements, the more money you can get, the more people you can impact. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sure you feel like you have a huge responsibility on your shoulders, but at some point you've got to dial that back for your, the, the sake of your own, you know, not going crazy. Yeah. And I think it's just, you know, entrepreneurship, what I've, how I feel is that I feel like it's been the craziest journey of self-discovery um, mm. because there's so much you'd learn about yourself in the process and there's just so, so much room for evolution and growth. And this is a constant journey, right? There's no, there's no never ending point of the journey of self-discovery and health and personal and professional development. And, um, I just think that there has been so many iterations of myself and so many growing opportunities right now. And it's wild to think. And I think also refreshing to think that I have no idea what this is going to look like five years from now, because there's so much more learning and, and growing to do. Um, so yeah, I think it's just also important for us to get really clear, especially when we're on social media, to get clear what success actually looks like for, for us indiv individually, right? Because I think it's easy to get distracted by, oh, success means a certain number of followers, a certain number of revenue and income, a certain number of people that I've served. But maybe success for you means having enough money to support a lifestyle that you appreciate while having a lot of free time with your family. Maybe success for you means the ability to disconnect for a certain amount of time. And so I think it's really helpful and important for us to get clear on if nobody knew what we were doing, what would we choose to do with our time? What would mm -hmm. success really feel like? And I, and I say this too, I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram, Trevor, but the Enneagram yep. has been a really helpful tool for me in understanding I'm a three, so I'm an achiever. And so I'm all about success is important to me. And I think it's also really easy for me as a three to get caught up in the success spiral that I disconnect from myself and what actually matters. And so I think it's important that we have touch points with ourselves, places we can re really re-root ourselves back in what's true and good for us because it is so easy to get, get distracted in this world. There's more distractions than ever. Absolutely. I forget what number I am. My wife made me do it. And I, I think I was a two or a three or a four. I can't remember. Yeah. But um, so that reminds me of a quote. Um, Success is the journey, not the destination. And mm, I mean, so I've gotten hooked up on that also. Like I want to get this number of downloads, this number of YouTube followers. But the more I like try to focus on like, you know what, as long as I'm having a good conversation with the guest, as long as I'm engaging mm. with our listeners, that's the journey. That so is success. Good. Not getting to, you know, not being the next level of Joe Rogan. Like that's a good, I don't know, a good goal to set, but that is not yeah. going to be success. Cause you know, you hear mm -hmm. people online, they're like, 
you know, I have a million followers, but I still struggle with, I don't know what success is. Like, I still don't feel successful. Like even they have imposter syndrome, which is wild to think about. Yeah. I have an, I have a great book recommendation. If you're someone who resonates with what we're talking about right now in this mm-hmm. never ending, like moving of success. And I feel like I talk about this on every podcast. So it's just a book that's very top of mind for me. I read it twice last year. It's called the gap in the gap in the gain by Dr. Benjamin Hardy and Dan Sullivan. And if you are someone who self-identifies as a high achiever, then this is a book for you because essentially they talk about the the difficulty with being an achiever is that you're always measuring yourself in the gap between where you're at and where you want to be. So you're always Mm. measuring yourself between what your current downloads are and the million downloads you want to get. And the problem is, is that as an achiever, once you reach the goal, you've already moved the horizon, right? Once you get a million, you're like, well, next we got to get 10 million. And so you're always going to feel inadequate. You're always going to feel like you're never successful. It's never enough. And he says, the only way to measure true success is actually in the gain. And that can only be measured backwards. So look back to look from where you're at now and looking back to when you first started your show or your YouTube or whatever the thing is you're working on, look at all the things you've done since then looking back and measuring your progress. That's where we can find true joy and true fulfillment. And I think to your point, just getting clear on what success looks like. I know for me, it's easy to get so caught up in metrics. And sometimes I'll post something on social media that will just feel like a flop, right? But if I get one message from a woman who says, I wore a tank top today for the first time to go outside with my kids because I'm working on being more confident with my body, like that is worth everything to me. If I can impact one woman or one person in a positive way and really remind myself that that's the goal, not having millions of followers or millions of views, it just helps me realize, okay, the things that I'm doing matters. The stories that I share matter. If it can help one person feel a little bit more human or a little more self-compassion today, then that is the measure. I love that. I mean, like the numbers, I feel like we get so worked up in numbers, like the downloads need to be this many, like the views need to get this many, but that's not very human. And like, mm-hmm. if we have all those downloads and nobody messages messages us and we don't have like an actual conversation, like, mm-hmm. you know, what's the point? I mean, because yeah. it's clearly just kind of weird and it's just kind of like, oh, this many people saw it, but I haven't talked to anybody. Um, I think that's really good. And I added, I, I wrote down that book. I'm going to try to read it. That sounds highly recommended. really phenomenal. I mean, like when I, we were, we were really close to a thousand subs on YouTube for a while. And I was like, oh my God, I can't wait. I can't wait. Like, this is going to be amazing. And then we hit it and we went past it. I literally felt the same way. I was like, mm-hmm. okay, wait, no, now we need a hundred thousand subs, like a thousands, uh-huh. whatever. So it's so weird how our perspectives change even as we like accomplish the goals we set. It's weird. It's wild, but I'm going to look it, it up. It's a gap in the gain. I love it. I wanted to share this. Uh, there's actually a term for it, that feeling that you just talked about. And mm-hmm. um, I call it the lie of once of like, once I get a thousand followers, then everything's gonna be different. But in psychology, they call it the arrival fallacy. And it's basically mm-hmm. the way that we attach expectations and of like joy and happiness and success and achievement to an achievement, to a moment in time. So they did a really cool study on movie stars and Olympic athletes on before and after they achieved the pinnacle of their career. So before they got the gold medal or after they got the gold medal or after they received the Oscar or whatever award it was. And they actually discovered that for those movie stars and athletes, their mental health was worse after they reached the biggest piece of achievement because they have this story of building up like, I'll finally feel like I've made it once I get the gold medal. But reaching, getting a gold medal, hitting a thousand subscribers, you know, whatever the goal is, it is a moment in time. And you are the same person with the same brain, with the same thoughts as you were the moment before it happened. And so I think, you know, back to that, that quote you shared earlier, success is in the journey, not the destination. This is a perfect example of it. 
the way that we find joy, contentment, and happiness is something we have to choose every single day in the baby steps in pursuit of the goal. But the goal is not it's not the the solution. The goal actually isn't even going to change the way we feel because the goal is probably going to keep moving. What's that Kobe Bryant quote where it's something like that? It's like the dream is not playing in the NBA. The dream is waking up early and doing the thing you love. Like that's yes, the dream. So that good. is success. So good. I love that. Well, you know what? I can feel why people get you as a life coach because you're amazing. Um, why they go to your speaking engagements and all, and all that stuff. Um, give us kind of a look at where your speaking engagements are, your workshops, your courses, if people want to follow you, like where all can they do that? And obviously to hear you and get super duper motivated because I feel like I can run through a wall right now. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Well, this has just been such a fun conversation, Trevor. So thank you for having me on. Um, You can find me at coachkaya.com. That's where I have more information about my coaching and my speaking and um, lots of opportunities. There's a ton of free downloads too for you to find there as well. So if you want to get a little taste of what it's like to work with me, if you're on social media, I am on Instagram. That's probably my current favorite platform. I'm Coach underscore Kaya, K-I-A-H. I'm on Facebook as well. And I have a feeling that you probably like podcasts if you're here. So I do have a weekly podcast called Climbing with Coach Kaya, where we chat all about climbing the mountains of life, all while finding joy in the journey. So you can tune in over there. Um, my speaking, speaking is really where my heart is right now in this season, especially since the world's open. I think social media is a great tool to connect, but there is nothing that compares to the energy of being in a room with people. And I think my favorite part of speaking gigs is actually getting off stage and getting to chat one-on-one with people directly. So Mm -hmm. exciting things coming up. I'm going to be at Ag Media Summit this year. Um, I'm going to be speaking at the American National Cattlewoman, speaking at some retreats. Um, I'm actually hosting an international retreat this next year too. So more details about that. I'm doing a women's retreat in Ireland. So if you want to do some of this self-love work, some of this just personal development work while traveling the world, I do have limited spaces, but I'd love for you to join me. So you can find out more about that at coachkaya.com as well. And I saw you're doing something later in July with Kylie Epperson, who we had on the show like a year or two ago, right? Yes. So um, on July 22nd, along with my friend Kylie Epperson, who is a hog farmer and a color and style enthusiast based in Missouri, and my friend Emily Rushell, who is a coach for rural women in Illinois, and my friend uh, Hannah Dorn, who's from Nebraska. She's a photographer. We are hosting a summer of self-love shindig. We're calling mm. it a shindig because by golly, everybody loves a good shindig. It's July 22nd at 6.30 a.m. Pacific time, 8.30 a.m. Central Time. And basically, it's a one-hour speaker series all about really cultivating more self-love this summer. We're going to talk about cultivating more body confidence. We're going to talk about establishing healthy habits. We're going to talk about embracing your own unique style and also capturing and making memories with the people you love most. So if you want to join us, it is totally free. You can go to coachkayat.com forward slash summer of self-love to save your seat. And we'd love to have you join us there. Well, perfect. I'll link all that below. Kaya, this has been so fun. I see why you have been, you know, so successful with all this um, life coaching, speaking engagements. You rock. Um, have been loving following your story and everything online. So can't wait to see how busy you are this summer and all the engagements you do. Uh, appreciate you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Learned a lot. I think, I hope a lot of people also learn a lot listening to you. So I appreciate it. Well, thanks again so much, Trevor. And thank you for what you do just to, to help share these incredible stories. It is such an honor to be on the show. Thanks again for checking out this episode of Farm Traveler. Check out the links below to connect with Kaya. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider sharing it with a friend or family member or 
leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast out. And of course, check out the clips over on YouTube. Links in the description. 